Hi there, and welcome back. Thanks for all the kind words about last week's episode, especially the introduction. I much appreciate them. A few people said that they would like to hear a conversation or more between me and my dad to hear different perspectives on how I grew up. It's certainly something in the books, and I hope to make time in the near future to make that happen. More on that in the coming weeks. In graduate school, most people are quite protective of their research for fear of getting scooped. Most folks collaborate, but for the most part, novel ideas get published first for fear of getting stolen. It's a breath of fresh air, it truly is, when you meet someone in academia who shares so freely and is willing to give help to those that are new to the discipline. I'd like to introduce you to Professor Tricia Lin, whose generous and giving spirit will shine through in this episode. At least I hope so. Here's our conversation. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm. It's Saturday and it's early. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for getting you to wake up early if you're not up early this time. My dog always makes sure I'm up early. Ah. I blame him. Are you? Is it New Zealand that's in your background? That is. That's where I wish I was right now. The Shire. Yes. All right. I guess I. One of the questions about your favorite books is answered. Well, presumably. It, it, it is. Sadly, though, I had a very hard time getting past the mushroom farm with the first time I read it. Like the first three times I tried to read that book, I couldn't get past the mushroom <laughs> farm. Once I got past the mushroom farm, it was fine. But that, that was that was that was the breaking point for me. It's a dense start. It, it yeah, Tolkien, yeah, he's he's special for <laughs> I don't need Google I'm trying to read your mug. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of us that can't see, I guess the podcast, I, the, the, Trisha's cup says, I don't need Google. My mother knows everything. This, this is my mother's favorite mug when she comes to visit me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my mom would enjoy that mug as well. I'll well, see if I can find it for her. My mother's a very smart woman. So as are all mothers. Yes. It's amazing how much smarter my mother gets as I get older. It's crazy. It's annoying for me. Uh, I, I frequently joke with my significant other and my sister that my mom is never wrong and it's obnoxious. Even when it, it's... It, uh, my dad and I were building this garage shelf for her. One of those things where you have the four poles and you can kind of put the, the metal bed uh, like through the holes. And... It was like 95 degrees outside. The garage is even hotter. We have just built one of them. And this is one of those like 200 pound contraptions, you know, five shelves and, and something quite fancy. And she came out, my mom came out into the garage and said, Hey, you guys want some water? I'm like, no, we need to finish this. <laughs> and we're crampy and it's just grumpy old men. And she just looks at the thing that we're building and she says, that one's off. And I, I snapped and I said, mom, I counted all the rings. You know, I am a mathematician. I know how to count. And of course, the end of the story is that I had not counted the rings correctly. 
So then after we had built the entire thing, the very bottom level was off by one ring. And of course, you can't just fix that. You have to take all four shelves off and then take the fifth one off, take the, the little U ring on the bottom, put it one low, one step lower. And to her credit, she didn't gloat or she just, I guess she's... She had to have been like Kermit in the background with my cup of tea being like... <laughs> and then eventually my... my Dad was like, you were right. And I and my sister sitting on the couch, or she was on the phone. I, I can't remember where my sister was, but she said, were you guys really arguing with mom or something? <laughs> you should know that is futile. You, you should. It, it's, you, it, even when you know she's wrong, she's right. And even when she's wrong, somehow the universe will make it so that she turns out to be right. Yeah, it's, it's like when, once you become a mother, you suddenly get that superpower somehow. I'm not quite sure. And it's obnoxious. I don't like it. I, I really, really, really don't like it because there are some things that I would like to think I'm better at than my mom is. And I, I when I was younger, you know, my teenage years, I thought I was better at everything. And now it's like, no, I, I am terrible at everything yeah. that my mom can do as well. And I'm just discovering that as I get older, I'm becoming more and more like my mother. And I'm like, oh, this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> or when I was younger, I was never going to be like my mom. It's funny how things like that happen. It's just, it's it's inevitable. All right. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. Th thank you for for agreeing to do this. I have no and idea why you want me on your show? But okay. Well, I, I want. Well, it's not my show. But thank you for giving it legitimacy <laughs> to everyone listening. I have a show. I've been listening to your show, and it is your show. Well, thank you. Um, no, I, I, when I came to Palm Beach State College, I was teaching developmental math one and two, uh, not came to Palm Beach State. When I was hired as an adjunct, when I was in graduate school, I was teaching those courses. And initially when I got hired full time, I think the semester before that I was teaching one of them as well. And there had been a hiatus between, you know, me getting hired as an adjunct in graduate school. And then I took a break from teaching came back a few years later and I needed to find a syllabus to copy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And I said, you know, I'm not getting paid nearly enough to write something from scratch. And I don't think that they want me to do that anyways. They probably want me to follow something that's already been written. And it, I know Zalman gave me one, my, my department chair at the time. And I looked at it and I said, okay, this is fine, but I, I wonder if someone else has something more colorful, meaning you know, something with a little more meat to it, because this seems very anemic, that there might be things that students might try to pull off that this doesn't protect me from. So I remember doing, uh, not a Google search, but on, I went on the Course Finder website and your name popped up first. Wow. So that's how I, I came to know of your existence. Oh. <laughs> three or three and a half years ago. I, I knew that you existed as a result of that. And then I think... Started, so... I'm sorry? That's when I first started. I've only worked here for four years, so that's... You must have pulled it up right when I... Serendipiosity? I, I don't know if that's a word. I think it should be. Ser it should be. Serendipity, I know is, but serendipitiosity sounds better. And uh, it but sound very interesting if you tried to say it while drinking, so I think we should... <laughs> So that's how I, I came to know you existed. 
And then I think you came to one of the the talks uh, during development day for GradeScope. Uh, for GradeScope. That's the first time I saw I saw met. I don't. We didn't really meet, but yes. Sure. And then before that, during my first cluster meeting, it seemed very strange to me that the math cluster and the don't know what your cluster is called. Is it not the math cluster? Well, we're well, well because I work for college readiness. We're a different department. Okay. Um, we have within college readiness, we have like smaller clusters. So we have the English and we have the study skills and we have the math. So we meet as a large cluster together and then we break up into our smaller sub clusters, I guess. Okay. And I don't know the politics behind this, but I know that things get heated. But is there a reason why? I have no idea. Listen, I... Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know if you knew better because you're no, I, one year my senior. So I didn't know if you had... Yeah, I also find it interesting that we don't all math meet together. Uh -huh. um, so and I think that's part of the fun is that I get to teach 1033. So I go to the math meetings with them, some, with the math department sometimes. And, sure. and I'm over here with college readiness and all my students are like, well, why aren't you teaching college algebra? Why aren't you? And I'm like, well, because I don't work for the math department. I teach math, but I work in this department. <laughs> so yeah, it's. It boggles the mind. I know. Well, welcome to Palm Beach State. That <laughs> yeah, that, that was something I, in my first cluster meeting, I thought that I was going to be able to, to meet you and, and thank you in person for letting me copy your syllabus you are, unbeknownst you to you a lot of mine at any time i i appreciate that i'm one of those teachers that's always like here's all my stuff new teacher i used to um do curriculum work and i uh -huh. every time i had a first year teacher i'm like here's all my lesson plans here's my schedule here's my grade book here take everything here's a hard drive with everything you need <laughs> just because i know I, how hard it is when you first start it's horrible sure because usually they just kind of like, here's your textbook, here's your classroom, good luck. Mm -hmm. See you at the end of the semester. <laughs> so it's it's difficult sometimes. In, in I, I guess in the defense of my department chairs, they offered similar support as you would have. Um, well, that's good. I, I was more looking for variety because they, they work so closely with each other, uh, Barbara and Salman, that the documents that came pretty much looked the same from, from both departments directions and rightfully so it made sense that you know they were coordinating with each other yeah. I, I just wanted to see what other people were doing as well yeah. just so that I could form better opinions yeah and the different campuses too have I have noticed that each of the campuses has their own unique little thing going on so that's also another being at the Lake Worth campus I kind of forget because <laughs> we're so yes and it's yeah but I do have to say the math department at Lake Worth campus has been great Rose has been amazing Mm -hmm. And, you know, and now we've got Justin for 1033. So it's, it's always nice to, you know. So I, that, that's why about, I, I, we're talking, I'm about, sorry, we're, we're talking about work. We're on vacation. Well, no, you asked me why I wanted you on the, the quote unquote show. So it, the, 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 the long answer to that was I knew you existed. I didn't know you. I knew you taught math. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I wanted to have a way to thank you for letting me copy your syllabus. So thank you. You're thank you very much. You're welcome. Any anytime you need anything, let me know. I'll email you. All okay. <laughs> so outside of, of, of the thanks for the syllabus, uh, tell me about yourself. I, I don't know you outside of the grade scope meeting that you came to. And, and I know that you teach math and you have 
a nice syllabus and you share stuff, but I don't know anything else about you outside of that. I feel like we should have a disclaimer, like, you know, material may not be suitable for all viewers. <laughs> discretion is advised from this point forward. I, okay. I'm kind of the gypsy of my family. So I've moved a lot and I've been a lot of places and I've done a lot of things. So I, I guess that's why I think all my family was so shocked when I finally bought a house. They're like, what, you actually purchased a home? What? Does that mean you're gonna stay in one place? I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. And that, and that only transpired because of my stepdaughters. So that's a whole, whole okay, crazy so take bizarro me through story. The, so it depends where you wanna years. start. Take me through the gypsy years. You can start what, at the very what beginning. Gives you the title? Sure, where are we like? I was born a poor white girl in a trailer in, no. <laughs> For those of you who didn't get the Steve Martin reference. I have, to, I have to reference my jokes now because I'm so old. It's ridiculous. That's okay. Uh, no, I was going I was to go born with Dickens, Massachusetts. But... Uh, my mother and my father's family are both immigrant families. Um, so it's always, I noticed that on a previous one that you, you and your previous guests were also from, but I, I'm a little bit more removed than you are. Mm -hmm. um, but my father's parents were from Poland and my mother's parents are from Scotland. Um, so that's interesting. So immigrant backgrounds. So very different kind of upbringing, I think, that I really identified with in your previous podcast. Um, the work ethic was really like, do better, make a better life for yourself. I mean, I have cousins in Scotland that I still talk to. So we've got the cousins in Scotland and the cousins here. So we have conversations back and forth about sure. how things are. And I've had a few more cousins from Scotland to immigrate over here as the years have passed. So that's always interesting. Um, but my father had a tendency to spend money we didn't have. Um, so <laughs> I try to be nice about my dad. Um, so he decided when I was six weeks old that we were moving to Colorado. So he packed up everything and we moved to Colorado. Um, my mom was in nursing school. So she finished nursing school and we moved. And my dad continued to spend money we didn't have. Um, and then he left when I was a year and a half old. Um, so it's just mom and I for a little bit. And then she remarried as mothers tend to do. Um, and my stepfather was a hospital administrator. So those jobs you tend to sometimes have to move, you know, you do sure. a job at this hospital and you finish it and then you move on to the next one. Anyway, so we ended up kind of making base in this little town in Northeastern Colorado it has like 10,000 people. And I always knew that that little town was not enough for me. So my whole plan, the whole time was like, how do I get out of here? How, and the only way to do that was to go to college. Like that was, so that was, sure. I'm going to college. I'm getting out of Colorado. I'm never coming back. Um, that is false though. I did end up going back anyway, but <laughs> that's part of the story. Um, so anyway, so no, so that's why I spent pretty much my entire life in school was get good grades, be involved in as many things as you can that make sense. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the popular kid, but I hung out with all the popular kids. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't know. I just, I didn't fit into one. You, you were the cool kid, but maybe you weren't popular. Yeah. No, I like, I, and I hung out with all the cliques. I wasn't involved in one particular clique. You're, you're the unicorn then. I think so. I, it's. You were the intersection of all things that were cool. So you might not have been popular, but you were 
equally popular amongst all the individually popular cliques. I always like to say that I was a very well adjusted, socially well adjusted geek because my core friends were the geek crowd. We were the smart kids. We were, I mean, we had, I look back at my high school class and I'm just amazed at how, even though we came from this little tiny farming town, the amazing talent that we had in my graduating class. Um, I was fourth in my class. Uh, our valedictorian is now a reconstructive hand plastic surgeon. Holy cow. Like the hardest specialty in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. So if you ever crush your hand, go to Austin, Texas. <laughs> I'll hook you up with one of the best. Um, all right. Steve had a photographic memory though. So we all knew that Steve was going to be the valedictorian and that was it. And there was nothing we could do because, you know, we would be discussing our AP history class and we'd be like, but I can, I can remember somewhere in the book and he'd be like, yes, it's in chapter four in page 27 on the fourth paragraph. We're like, shut up, Steve. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that was Steve. And then our second was Brian who ended up going to Carnegie Mellon um, and now has a PhD in geology and works for oil companies. Um, then there's Angie was third. Um, Angie is also a PhD. She became a radiology veterinarian. And so now she teaches at the veterinary school at Colorado State University. Very cool. And then there's me. So I'm like, ooh, underachiever. I'm <laughs> I'm just a professor at Palm Beach State. What did I do wrong? Um, but yeah, so I mean, I had a lot of really smart friends. Um, mm-hmm. And not just like, I mean, just really good hardworking, wanted to do well, wanted to make a difference in the world kind of people. So I mean, I really lucked out. Um, and plus I got the great bonus of working in a, living in a farming town. So I got to help castrate piglets in the spring and pull chickens when they were. <laughs> I have to say my, my girlfriend is, is enamored. I don't know if you've seen that show and I'm sure you live through it. Uh, I think it's on national geographic or discovery or one of the, the, the non, uh, I guess, well, one one of the channels, uh, Doctor Pole. Oh, Doctor Pole. Yeah, I love Doctor Pole. Yes, that that's kind of the community. And the funniest thing. Is, okay, so here we go. This is my weird life. So Doctor Pole's from Michigan, and I happen to have been engaged to someone from Michigan when I was in college. And so that was like, I love watching the show because I'm like, oh, I know where that is. I know where that is. <laughs> because he too was from a small town in Michigan. So there we go. Sure. Yes, I know. I love I love all the veterinary shows, all the animal shows. Yeah. They have a great show, if she's never watched it, um, about a veterinarian in England who he lives and breathes to come up with new ideas to help animals with missing limbs or like he helps rebuild them. He builds these great little, so he does basically like really fancy orthopedic surgery for animals. Mm-hmm. So he makes pins and braces and all these weird things so that it's, he's called the bionic vet anyway. Bionic vet. I'll share it. That sounds a little more interesting than, well, not to say that Dr. Pole is not engaging, but the couple of times I've walked past the couch, it's like, oh, we're going to castrate this bull and you're going to hear a crunching sound. And when you hear the crunching sound, that's when you know the job is done. And then I'm, I'm coming back from the kitchen after my glass of water and Hey, we're going to castrate this bull. It's like, what is it just that's all you do in Michigan? You just castrate bulls it, all day long? A certain season, yes. <laughs> Let's be honest, there is a season. It, 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 I think it makes for good TV because it makes you go, you know, I heard that sound and I don't want to hear it, but 
I guess it's like rubbernecking. You can't look away from a car crash or from a car wreck. I think part you can kind of get over that by going to work on a farm for one season. And once you've castrated like 150 piglets right in a row, you at that point, you, it, it doesn't bug you at that stage. It doesn't bug you anymore. It, it's not that it bugged me. It just got very repetitive. It was always, you know, with bulls, they were getting castrated. And with uh, cows, they were, they were getting their placenta pushed back in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Because I said, yeah. it, it, this is a prolapsed uterus. Yes. Sir. Yes. And, you know, it, it wasn't that I found it icky or something. I just found it very repetitive that it was the same thing again and again and again. Well, when you are a farm vet, you kind of deal with the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> True. Kind of like the, the bionic vet sounds fun. I, I, I'll look into that. Maybe Julie will like it. And check it. Out. I mean, I I like to show just because it's a little more from the surgical side and the sure because he's very inventive about the things that he creates to help the animals. Anyway, I'll pass on the suggestion. But but back to you. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so that was my that's where where I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Colorado. Um, so I went as far away from home as I possibly could for college. That was my plan. Um, I did have a full ride offer to go to the University of Alaska at Fairbanks, um, but I need sunshine to function. So I, as much as I don't, I actually did work in Alaska for a couple years. I love it up there. But yeah, the sunshine issue is a big thing for me. Um, so I went to Virginia, which was it's pretty far from Colorado as I could get. So sure. Back in the ocean. Um, but yeah, so I went to college in Virginia. Um, quickly found out that having a single mom, because by that point my mom was divorced, um, didn't have a lot of money. So I took a ridiculous number of classes and graduated in three years, um, which was, and I look back, I'm like, how did I do that? I was taking like 24 credits a semester and I was working like five part-time jobs to try and make sure that all my bills were paid. And mm-hmm. I don't think I slept my entire last two years of college. It doesn't sound like you did. It yeah, no. doesn't sound like you had the time to do that. Yeah. And I was an RA and <laughs> like, eh, whatever you do what you have to do to get through. And that, sure. I think that's kind of the message that I like to share with my students is because I was like, miss, you're a professor. You don't understand. And I tell them, listen, I didn't just pop out of the womb and they're like, Hey, you're a professor. That's, that's not how this came about. You know, I, I had to go through, I, you know, at one point, my mom and my brother and a sister and I did live in a car. So I tell my students, like, this, this is not something that I just, you know, was handed that, you know, diploma and said, hey, go be a professor. It didn't, it didn't work out that way. So, you know, even, even professors had to work to get, to get to where we are. We don't. Absolutely. So, so it's always good to be able to share that kind of stuff. Cause my students are like, what? You lived in a car? I'm like, yeah, it wasn't fun. Luckily, it wasn't for very long, and my mother's a very resourceful woman, so that's the good news. Um, but it's hard work, which is why, you know, I didn't have, you know, we didn't get allowances growing up, and we didn't, so I had to get a job. That was it. Like, you, if you wanted money, you had to get a job. So I've been working since I was old enough to work, which was 13, mm-hmm. in my little town. So, and then I got the, you know, we were able to get a farm license when we were 12, so that was good, so that we could help drive the beet trucks, and, you know, every time there was harvest, we could drive out. This is all you could do with a farm license. So I don't want people to get all excited about it. <laughs> um, is you could drive the truck from the field to the, wherever you were dropping it off. If it was sugar beet season, then you drop them off at the sugar beet factory. If it was corn season, you could drop it off at the, the train depot. You could drop it off at the co-op, whatever, but that's all you could do. And then drive back to the farm and that was it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I did whatever I've done all kinds of things. I did 
drive the farm trucks. I worked um, at my stepdad's medical supply store. I He owned some properties above it, like their apartments above it. So I cleaned all the hallways and washed all the windows and whatever. Whatever it took to get through, that's what I did. I worked at the hospital mostly when I was in high school though. I was kind of, I did admissions. I worked in, um, I was a gopher for the ER and the OR and the radio and I worked in radiology. And so that was fun. I met a lot of doctors, which is what I thought I wanted to do with my life. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. but every doctor I worked for talked me out of it. So I went to college and majored in math because math was the only thing I really liked. I was like, and biology was fine. Um, my professor was a botanist. She was the head of the department. I was originally a double major in biology and chemistry. Um, so here we go. So this is how much of a geek I am. Okay, so I started off as a double major in biology and chemistry, um, but my advisor was a botanist, not really a botany fan. So mm-hmm. her, her the honors biology course was all botany. And then at the end, she was like, oh, we have two weeks left. We should probably talk a little bit about human biology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> biology might be important you know sure so so anyway I very quickly changed majors because that wasn't and then I had a fabulous chemistry professor who I absolutely loved and her husband was my English professor the professor's pifo um so I mean I had I went to this little school it was great I had fabulous professors um but just biology and chemistry was not going to happen um so I was like okay what am I getting A's in like okay I'm getting A's in all my math classes all right sweet so there we go I'm a math major. Yay. Um, so finished school in three years. Um, had no idea what I was doing with my life. I have to say, having been a math major or being a math major, finishing a math degree in three years is fairly daunting. It was. Um, but again, I think part of it is that I really lucked out at where I went to school. Um, I went to a very small private liberal arts school um, called Sweetbriar College. We, we made the news a couple years ago. We were on Jeopardy! Um, because our board of directors tried to shut us down. They literally Ah. asked to the students right as they were leaving for spring break, by the way, we're closing the doors in May. Was it something where, I don't know if there was a GoFundMe, but people in the community came together and raised funds? Yes. um, The alums actually all got together and we bought the school. We bought it. I remember reading about it. I, I don't. I didn't remember that that was the institution, but I remember reading about it. Maybe it was an Inside Higher Ed or yeah, Chronicle or something. We had quite a few things in Inside Higher Ed. Um, nobody really knows the whole story. Everybody kept saying, "Oh, the the, the board's explanation was, oh, we weren't financially solvent," and mm-hmm. and we're all looking at the numbers, going, nah, that "Something doesn't add up here." Nothing. Yeah. So there were rumors, and there have always been rumors um, about our campus. We have a beautiful beautiful campus. If you ever get a chance to go visit in, mm-hmm. in South, Southwestern Virginia, please do. Um, it's about 2,300 acres of, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's absolutely insanely beautiful. Like, wow. I, I remember the first time I went to go visit, I was like, yep, this is it. I don't, whatever. I don't care about the academics. I don't care about, <laughs> we're just, I need to, I need to go here for three, for three or four years. Um, but yeah, they, um, so yeah, so anyway, we had a big fundraising thing. We bought back the school, fired the entire board, um, and started over. Basically. Is that something that you can do? 
yes, it turns out you can. Um, we Luckily enough, we had quite a few lawyers who had graduated from our, our institution. So we, sure. we had, we actually have twins. They're famous now because they have a TLC show. They're twins that are lawyers and they married identical twins. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not much for those reality shows, but anyway, uh, but they played a big part in getting us back and giving us a lot of legal advice about what we could and couldn't do. And um, but I, we'd heard lots of rumors about what could have been going on. Um, disclaimer, I do not know exactly what happened, but my personal belief um, is that it was an effort, combined effort with the state and the University of Virginia to buy our campus to use as a satellite campus for UV. I see. Uh, which makes perfect sense because it's beautiful. It's absolutely insanely gorgeous. Um, and who doesn't want 2,200 acres in the Blue Ridge Mountains? I mean, let's be honest. I'd be pretty happy with them. Yeah, that's a prime piece of real estate with gorgeous old, you know, beginning of the 19th, 1900s buildings. They're all brick and beautiful Roman columns. And yeah. So it was it was quite idyllic to go to school there when I did. We had our own dairy. So we had fresh cheese and fresh milk and fresh yogurt every day. And it was a hard life. It was a hard life. I, I can tell. It's it's it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible to have fresh milk and fresh cheese every day. I know. Yeah, I literally like that they joke about the freshman fifteen. Oh no no no! At my school, <laughs> I didn't think of that. But I, I, I'm not thinking about that when I'm thinking. Oh, fresh milk. Yeah. No, we were all excited to go to uh, the dining hall every every morning. It was like woohoo. So yes. Um. But anyway. So. No, finished my degree in three years. And the only way I could have done that was because I had these amazing professors. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was a small school, a lot of person, we got all got a lot of personal attention. Um, my largest classes my freshman year were 30. And my senior year, uh, most of my classes was just me. Maybe one or two other people. But that, yeah. So when I say personal attention, my senior project was to proofread my advisor's analysis book that he was writing. That was, wow. that was my senior project. I had to go through and do every problem and do all the proofs for all the problems. So yeah, I mean, that's when I had the flu, my professors came to my dorm room and brought me soup and taught me my lessons while I was laying in bed dying. It was fabulous. So, so it was a great experience and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Um, the student loans, however, I definitely would have traded because that, 17 years later that those finally got paid off. So it was good. Congratulations. I know that that's, as someone who has loads of student loans, I know that those bear down hard, especially yeah. when you're trying to get a good night's sleep and randomly the, the thought pops in your head and it's like, yep, not getting sleep in the night. Yeah, no, like the, de the, the debt of education is crushing, but I, I do have to say it was my choice to go into teaching. I didn't have to go. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that going into teaching, I was not going to make as much as my fellows, you know, friends in graduate school. Um, and they still to this day, why do you do it? Like, why aren't you, why didn't you come join us in industry? You can making three, four times what you make right now. I'm like, I don't remind me. <laughs> Cause unfortunately I like my job and that's, it's kind of the trade-off. I have a job I actually don't hate going to every day. So it's kind of a good thing. So yeah, I'm poor and I'll never have, I'll never have a big house or a fancy car, but you'll be happy. Uh, I, I, and you know what, as I get older, I'm totally finding that it, I really don't care what kind of car I drive. Don't care. Mm -hmm. Does it have four wheels? Does it start and get me from point A to point B? That's all I care about. I, 
my house isn't fancy, but you know what? I've got a pool. That's fancy enough. So that's fancy for me. I'm good. I hot. It's so hot in Florida in the summers. No, not when you have a pool. You just go jump in and you feel better. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So, so graduate school teaching. Yeah. Uh, I get the sense of the gypsy life. Yeah. Uh, what happened in Alaska? You said you you went there for a few years. Oh yes. Yeah. So I my okay. So here we go. So my after the end of the first year of graduate school, um we're having major issues in my family. Let's just put it that way. It's very tumultuous. We're all very passionate. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) We're all very passionate people in my family. Um, And I kind of just needed to break away for a while. Sure. So in, I went to the university of Massachusetts for graduate school. um, The first time (laughs) I qualify that. Um, And in the student newspaper that always had ads for like, go work on the cruise ship go work on this dude ranch, go work. And one of them was to go work in Alaska. And I was like, wow, what a great thing. Like, so I just had to get to Anchorage. And then after that, everything was paid for. They, they took, they flew me out to the place where I was working. They paid for all my food. They paid for all my lodging. They paid me to work. And I was like, all right. So I found like the cheapest ticket I could find to, to Anchorage. Um, and then ended up working at a resort, um, right near Katmai National Park for a couple years. It was owned, wow. it was owned by a, um, another plastic surgeon, I think plastic surgeons in my life. <laughs> and, uh, the first year I worked there, I was just front desk, you know, nothing fancy, but the second year I worked there, I did all the books. I worked the night shift. I did all the accounting. I, you know, did all the numbers. Um, and he trusted me. Lord help that man. So, uh, it was, it, he would come down when he came to visit, he would come down at like three in the morning with a bottle of wine and we'd talk about the money. <laughs> well, There's worse ways to talk about money. There we go. Exactly. With the owner over a bottle of wine. Yeah. It was horrible. So yeah, I loved working there. Um, unfortunately it burned down. E. Uh, yeah. And when you're out in the middle of nowhere, your options are take the insurance money or you have to bring in modular sections to rebuild. Sure. And the owner just decided he was getting too old and didn't want to deal with that anymore. So he just called it a day. Um, but which was said, cause I really enjoyed working there. I had a great time. I met a lot of, I met a lot of interesting people. Um, I got to make a joke at Kevin Costner's expense, which is my favorite story of all time. Um, so Please do share. Okay. So, um, do you remember? I love Kevin Costner. Okay. Well, you might not after this story, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do you remember that movie, Tin Cup? Yeah, yes. Okay. So, t- okay. So now, we, now you're going to know how old I am. Um, so, Tin Cup was just finished filming, um, and they were doing a rap party, a production rap party, and they flew, Warner Brothers flew everybody from the movie up to my little town in Alaska. Um, now, they didn't stay at my resort. Um, there was a fancy up the river, five-star, everything included resort. That's where all the celebrities stayed. Um, but all the pilots stayed at my resort. Um, so there was a pilot who had insomnia and he would be up all night long. Um, so he'd sit by the fireplace down in the lobby, watching the bears come up to the window, um, like they did every night. And he would, he read me the red badge of courage while I was sitting at the computer doing all my work and, Anyway, so we got to know each other. And then at the end of his week, he said, hey, you know, they're having a party. Do you want to come with me? 
course I want to come with you to the Warner Brothers party. Why would I not want to? Anyway, so um, there was one bar in town, <laughs> which I love this. People are like, what? I'm like, yes, there was one bar. Well, there were two technically. One was legal and the other one was not quite so legal. Uh, we were at the legal bar. Um, and of course they couldn't just, they couldn't close it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody was kind of like, everybody knew that there was a private party going on, but people would still come, the regulars would come in and out. Um, so being a female in Alaska, the, uh, where I worked, the male to female ratio was 13 to one. So I never had to pay for a drink ever. Um, so we got there and of course, uh, you never paid for drinks as a woman, so drinks were coming and drinks were coming. And I was feeling very good by the time Kevin Costner and Cheech Marin and Don Johnson actually showed up to the party. And this big burly fisherman walks over to Kevin Costner and taps him on the shoulder. And he's like, Hey, I want my $7 back. Kevin Costner turns around. He's like, what do you mean you want your $7 back? The fisherman's like, I saw Waterworld. It sucked. I want my seven. (laughs) I I did what you just did only much louder. (laughs) because I'd had quite a few drinks at that point. Um, so he just kind of shot me this really dirty look. And I was like, hey, I liked Waterworld. And then he, of course, thought I was his friend. And he was like, see, she liked Waterworld. And uh, so the, he's, I said, he said, well, what did you like about it? I said, well, I like the fact that it was, you know, kind of like Mad Max, but on water. He was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, see? I said, but you know what? There's only one thing that would have made it better. And he goes, what's that? And I said, Mel Gibson. <laughs> which he did not find fascinating or funny. Now, everybody else did. Um, Kevin Costner got extremely angry and left. And Cheech Marin walked over to me and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, listen, little girl, I'm the one who tells the jokes here, not you. <laughs> so I spent the night hanging out. And Cheech Marin autographed a fish that's in the bar and they hung it up. In the- so anyway. I have that's heard- a fascinating story. I-, I-, I wish I had been sober enough to actually ask for an autograph, but it's... The things you remember. We, you know, we live and we learn. I know. I know. Yeah. I've met several celebrities where I've been like, ah, I have nothing for you to autograph. Like I met Alan Jackson, the country singer in a Subway restaurant. Oh. And all I had was a $5 bill in my keys. And I'm like, do I really want a sub or do I want Alan Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> the choices I have to make in life. But yeah, no, anyway, so that's, so Alaska, there we go. That's how I ended up working in Alaska. Very cool. Very, very very cool. I love Alaska. It's absolutely, if you have never been, you need to go. I have been wanting to visit for how long? Probably six years. And uh, I I think in one of the previous podcasts, I I talked about uh, going to the Grand Canyon with this river running group, Crate. And they have river running trips uh, through the Alsek and Tatachini rivers in Alaska. They're 14 day rowing trips where, you know, you're on the boat and they make camp at night or in the evening or the afternoons. But for the most part, you know, you weave in and out of the, the river and eventually they helicopter you out to some, some place. I don't remember the exact details, but I'm hoping that there's enough time to be to be able to do that before the glaciers disappear or before you know it's not the alaska that that i can that i'm that i've been imagining it to be there we go well i think it depends on what your imagination is 
<laughs> I think the reality of, of Alaska is that there will be glaciers there for quite a while. At least I'm pretty sure you're safe in your lifetime. So I hope so. Yes, I think you'll be good. Um, but I mean, a, sub, a couple of the things you really need to do, you really need to take the train from Anchorage up to Denali, if not all the way mm -hmm. up to Fairbanks, because that trip is absolutely insanely beautiful. Just, I took my nephew when he was 11 and he wouldn't talk to me the whole time we were there. He's like, hey, it's fine. Seth, are you enjoying this? It's okay. I'm like, great. This kid hated this trip. I spent all the money. <laughs> and then when I brought him home, his mom, my sister's like, he I doesn't can't get shut him up about it. Every time we talk about anything, it's like, well, when I was in Alaska. <laughs> so 11 year old boys, what do you do? But yeah, no, I, it's, yeah, a lot. And just beware um, the Alaskan bird, which is the um, mosquito. Mm -hmm. um, they get quite large. Bring a net. My best advice, because that was that mosquito net was worth a billion dollars up there. But anyway, we, no. it, I, the last time I had an actual opportunity was the the August that I got hired or not hired, but I was supposed to start working full time at Palm Beach State. Now, I really, really wished I had not been hired that year that maybe it was like, oh, we'll hire you in the spring term. Because this was, uh, I enjoy photography, and for this particular group, the professional photographer they had hired to lead this group of other yeah. rich doctors that basically go up to Alaska and say, we have this fancy camera, but we don't know how to use it. Right. And, you know, the, the professional would say, okay, change your camera to this setting and then take a shot, turn off your flash. You're not going to be able to get a reflection from the stars within at least the next couple of light years at the very least. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so the, the professional kind of backed out at the last minute for undisclosed circumstances. And then they said, Hey, so if you can fly up to Juneau or Anchorage, one of the two places, uh, the, the entire trip is free. We're not going to charge you. You just, you know, it would be a huge saving for us. But it overlapped with the opening of school. Yes, because September is the best time to go. Sure. September. <laughs> this was, I think, <laughs> end of July, beginning August. And they said that, you know, that there's enough of a, a river melt to where you'd see some rapids. Yep. But at the same time, the animals have just started coming out. Right. Yeah. Um, so you'd be able to get some great shots. Yeah, and really great animal pictures go in September because everybody is out because winter's gonna start any minute. So they are all out in full force in September. And if you've never seen the salmon run, it's amazing. I could go on, anyway, I could talk about that for- Day before yesterday. <laughs> no, day before yesterday, maybe it was yesterday. Uh, Julie, my, my significant other, her brother lives in Rimouski, Canada, which is mm -hmm. pretty far up north. And he invited us for Christmas. Uh, to, to come visit with him and his wife. It's cold. It is. <laughs> but first of all, I enjoy the cold. I, I'm from the Himalayan mountains, so I, I don't mind the cold at all. My girlfriend, yes, I am genetically predisposed to, to enjoying cold weather. But my significant other, who's French Canadian and you know grew up in Montreal and Quebec City, she moved to Florida because, like you, she needs sunshine to function. Yes. Um, but Yellowknife is not that far. Oh, from Ramuski. Okay. 
Okay. And I've been trying to angle in a trip to Yellowknife so we could see the Aurora Borealis during the December months, which is when it dances, you know, it, it's the most visible. But you can see so, it. I mean, it just depends. Like, I saw them twice up there, and I went in the summers. Oh. So, yeah, you, you never know up there. The first, actually, my plane ride to Alaska the very first time. I got to see them over Canada as we were. Wow. Yeah. And that was in June. So it, you never know when you get to see them. Hashtag just. I know in December it, it's significantly more common. Yeah. So if I'm spending that much time and money to go there, I, I want a sure shot. There you go. So <laughs> maybe not a sure shot, but as close to a sure shot. So I said, Hey, and, and she came over. Uh, you know, she came into the room and she said, so Patrick wants us to go to Canada for Christmas. And I immediately, my brain went to, how long are we going? And can I have two days in Yellowknife? <laughs> she doesn't know this yet, but eventually I have to sneak it into our conversation somehow. Just buy her a nice gift and like slide it in there while you, you'll be fine. It'll be good. She okay. is oddly not convinced by those things. There's always something that she wants. Come on. There's got to be something. I've known her for eight, almost nine years, and it's she's one of those weird people that will. I, I get very happy with toys, so you could distract me with, you know, you could buy me a new cable, and I would be enamored with it for the next few days. You know, a little Funko Pop doll, and you'd be just like, oh, this is amazing, and I, I I'd be able to entertain myself for hours on end with with just you know a piece of wire or something. She, oddly enough, is, I guess, evolved to the point where she doesn't need things or. So my brain doesn't work that way. I like things. I like objects that I can manipulate and, and do stuff with. Whereas she's. Yeah, I have to come up with a clever way of, of getting her to agree to Yellowknife in December. Everyone has a price. I'm just saying everybody. It might be it might take you a while to figure it out, but everybody has a price. You just got to find it. Be motivated. You can do this. <laughs> I'll look into it. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your story. I wanted to run into a couple of questions that, well, came as a result of the conversation I had last night. Oh, okay. if you don't mind. And I didn't have a chance to listen to last night's because you were late. So, oh, no, no, no. So I have a, not a backlog, but a, a treasure chest of about three episodes. So I, I try to stay three weeks ahead of schedule so that if for some reason no one wants to talk to me this week, then I have another three weeks to figure out, you know, what their price is and, and convince them to, to talk to me on, on the podcast. I don't think you'll have a problem. You'd be surprised. I, I've run into a lot of people that just haven't answered my email, which is fine. But I told you, I, yours got like dogpiled in the 8 million. I, I figured that it might have been the time as well. So I, I'm, I'm very happy that you responded eventually. And I didn't hold that against anyone that hasn't responded yet. It, it might just be that, you know, everyone was getting a thousand emails a day and mine yeah. you know, was not something urgent. So they just forgot about it. The thing that has been disappointing for me, uh, not from a personal level, but I think that other people in the Palm Beach state community would have enjoyed listening to this person or these people talk 
is that individuals have said that, you know, we, we choose to remain private with our lives and we don't wish to have a recording of us available, you know, in right. the internet or on the internet, which is understandable. And I, and I respect that. So it, it's just disappointment and, and sadness in that, Hey, I think that this person is very, very interesting. And I really wish that I could share that with the community at large, but uh, through this medium, I don't think I'll be able to. Well, the FBI is no longer looking for me, so we're good. <laughs> Only the CIA and the NSF. And they don't need to know because it's a different name, so we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with, there's six questions here. Oh, okay, I'm ready. The, the number of questions keeps going up, which is very nice. So I, I typically ask people, or I asked people initially for three questions because I thought that that you know, would be a good round number. And, and why not? There we go. And three turned to five, and now five has turned into six. So now the standard for you is like we just do a okay. no. sequence, and then we make it really challenging. Like so, by the <laughs> that would blow things up. Math. And I don't think the person who is the last to be interviewed for the project is going to have a very good time. Exactly. I, I think I already have a hard enough time getting people to agree to it. That once they realize it, I need to answer a hundred trillion questions. <laughs> for this one hour interview for in the one hour that's not going to happen <laughs> all right so what will be your biggest personal legacy left when you're gone can't say your kids if you have them that's a given okay well technically they're not mine anyway so they're my stepkids so i can't even that's, that's okay uh my own personal legacy oh geez um no, I just think my own personal legacy is that every once in a while, I'll have a, an old student just say, you know what, I actually learned something in that class. And to me, that is the best because I will get an email three, four years after a student graduates and they'll be like, so the other day I had to go to work and we had to do this thing. And I remembered everything you taught me. And I was like, yay. Mission accomplished. That That's my mission. Yeah, if, if, if I have any of my students can say that three, four, five years down the road, then I did my job. And that to me is, it's, it's just about getting that one kid, you know, if I can get that one kid every semester, then I'm making a difference. And that's all that matters. Fair enough. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Why didn't you do that? Okay. If it wasn't becoming a math professor. This, okay. I never wanted to be a math professor. So this is a good question. Um, becoming a math professor totally happened by accident. Um, at first, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, um, but I had really bad eyesight. And mm -hmm. back in the 80s, they didn't have all the cool eye surgeries that they have now. So that was out. And then I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, but again, then the eyesight. You have to be a, a pilot first. So yeah, so that just kind of blew that out of the water. Um, and then I wanted to be a backup singer for Billy Joel. <laughs> okay I, I, I'm, I'm trying to connect you know the people typically have themes in their not hobbies but things that they want to do well I, my family is very musical okay the little teeny town that i grew up in also had a policy that every person starting in the fourth grade had to play a musical instrument okay um so and my family's always been musical my mom plays guitar and she sings and and so all of my brother and sister my brother and sister and i all sing we all play musical instruments. So, um, so yes. And in high school, we would all have little sing-alongs at my house. We'd all come over and play the piano and play Billy Joel songs. And we'd all sing along. And yeah, so I had decided I wanted to be a backup singer for Billy Joel. That was, 
I still want to be a backup singer for Billy Joel. <laughs> Billy Joel's listening. Billy. I, I will try to get this podcast out to his people. Well, he's. I don't know if they'll listen. That but... house right down the road. Just drop off a copy at his house. <laughs> Billy. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> but yes, and then it was when I started college, then it was to be, become a doctor. Mm-hmm. And then when the whole biology thing was not working out, um, I then switched to math, but didn't know what I wanted to do with math. So I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'll figure it out eventually. It's not a requirement or a necessity. I've found that out through the years. Getting older is mandatory, but no one said anything about getting more mature or just knowing what you want to do when you grow up. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to ever happen for me, but that's okay. And that's okay. <laughs> no one needs to grow up. As long as I pay my bills. I think the adults make all the, the messes in the world. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so there we go. If Billy's listening. I'll try to get Billy Joel to respond. I don't think he will to me, but we'll see. You never know. Who knows? You never know. What is one of your biggest regrets? Can you change that? Oh, big. I think my biggest regret in life was being stupid with money when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, all the, the, the relationships and the, you know, I wouldn't change any of that stuff because all the relationships, even when they went sour, I learned something from. So those are kind of, absolutely. Um, but yeah, if I could go back and talk to my 18 year old self, just be like, do not get the credit card. That's the worst thing you could ever do. So that would be like my big thing. Like I would have really wished, I really wish that when I was younger, I had been a lot smarter when it came to money. Because I did the typical, and I went to a very, again, I went to the small private liberal arts, you know, the girls would go down the parking lot and swiddle their pearls and be like, oh, which BMW is mine? (laughs) Very hard being the poor kid. Um, Sure. So I tried to keep up with the Joneses and that did not work. It's difficult. It's hard. It is. And that, and it's not something that you can fix quickly, Mm -hmm. a teaching salary. So... (laughs) We're still dealing with these problems. Um, but yeah, I think it would have been, I wished that I, again, I wish I'd listened to my mother. I, God, I hope she's not listening. She's in, the, she's in the living room right now. Um, I wish that I had listened to my mother a little bit more when it came to money. That's my one regret. Fair. Are you a Tigger or an Eeyore? Why? Oh my God. That is a great question. I think it depends on the day, but in general, I think I'm an Eeyore. Really? Now, yeah. If you asked my students, they'd probably say, oh my God, she's a Tigger. Oh my God, she's a I would have said the same thing, not having been in your class at all, but you come across as, as a Tigger. I am a very introverted extrovert. Okay. Um, when I'm at work um, or when I meet people, I'm, I can be as extra, I'm very lively and I can talk about anything and but really, I would just rather be at home, <laughs> hanging out with my dogs. <laughs> Fair enough. When they said you have to work from home, I was like, yes. This is not a problem at this all. It's not a problem for me. Yeah. So I, I can be extroverted when I need to be, but I think truly I'm a New York. All right. Maybe without the, the depression. That's a good place to be. I'm not really. Eeyore without the depression is good. Right. Eeyore without the depression. If I can put that little caveat on there. Yes. Sure. I'm going to switch in the order just so that we end on a slightly different note. Okay. Um, 
And I, the, the, the person that asked me this question said that you have to read the person to see if they'll want to answer this question. I, I, I will answer. I think you will. Yes. Uh, ask them what their greatest fear in life is. Or, oops, sorry. What is your greatest fear in life? My greatest fear in life is burning to death. That was very quick. Uh, shall I probe further? Yeah, you can. Usually people have to come up with something. And no. was it an experience that yes. um, prompted that fear? Yes. Growing up, I worked in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was, okay, so I have to qualify this. My stepdad was the hospital administrator for a while. Um, my mother is a nurse. She's been a, She's retired now, but she was a nurse for 47 years. Um, she was the QA coordinator at the hospital. All right. Um, I worked in admissions. So I would have to be on the floor to go get patients informations because they couldn't get meds without their med bracelet. And anyway, you know how all that paperwork stuff works. Anyway, um, we had a person who was involved in a fire and walking past the ICU room, you could smell a, the burning flesh. Cause mm-hmm. it, that smell is very distinctive. It's distinctive. Yeah. And B, you could smell the death in the room. And I, that was very, that's still a very vivid memory for me that like knew I, uh, drowning, it's quick. And this is the horrible thing. Growing up with a nurse, you talk about things like this over dinner conversation. This is what sure. we talk about at my house. Is this, mm-hmm. We didn't talk about, you know, what did you do for the day? It was like, mom, I was reading your nursing magazine about skin grafts. And we were, <laughs> this is what we would talk about in my house. Um, but yeah, no. And I think the nice thing about having a nurse for a mom is we always talked about death in a very clinical sense. Like sure. everyone is born, everyone will die. It wasn't this taboo subject like it is in some households. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the whole burning is very painful. Um, to heal burns is very painful. Mm-hmm. They're not, they can only give you so much meds Many, so many so many pain meds because they have to know when they're debriding the wound if they're getting to Mm-mm. good tissue bad tissue sure yeah that's where i'm like nope i'm out so yeah the burning to death thing is that's my greatest fear in life is and i'm not afraid of fire i actually used to do fireworks in the summers i actually had a license to carry explosives mm-hmm. might scare some people once they if they know me uh, but i actually did have a, a license in the state of north carolina to carry explosives um but yeah, I, so I'm, I have a very healthy fear of fire. I'm not afraid of fire itself, but I am, my greatest fear is that I will burn to death. That is to me the most horrible thing that could happen. All right. Fair. To end or second to last question, who looks up to you the most? How would they describe you? Oh, who looks up to me the most? I got to say my stepdaughters probably look up to me the most. Um, and how would they describe me? Uh, they jokingly call me the wicked ex-stepmother as their father and I, uh, this, here we go. Now I have to explain. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. That's a reference I don't follow. My life is complicated. Okay. Um, so my ex-husband and I are no longer together, but, um, that's how I ended up in Florida is his children are here from his first marriage. Um, so he was in the military and I moved us down here when he was getting ready to retire um, because his children are here. So I moved all the stuff. I got a crappy teaching job in a little town in the middle of orange country, uh, because he doesn't like the city. Um, 
And two months later, he said, oh, by the way, I have a new girlfriend. I don't want to be married anymore. So here I am in Florida with no support um, and just the kids. Um, so rather than now being stepmother, I am now the, they call, they always called me the wicked stepmother as a joke. Like sure. we're big fans of Disney movies. So there's always a wicked stepmother. Um, but yeah, so now I'm the wicked ex-stepmother. Now I understand it to be a term of endearment yeah. as opposed to something of confusion. And I, I didn't want to ask more questions, but I understand why the Disney reference makes sense. Yes. So, yeah. And it's, they are, and it's kind of funny because their mom and I didn't really have a great relationship at first, but now we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now a, it's now kind of a running joke. Like if you don't clean up your room, I'm going to call your wicked ex-stepmother. <laughs> and that works because they know with me that I'm, you, and if you've read my syllabus, then you obviously know I'm a big stickler for rules Sure. and I don't make exceptions. And I know that a lot of my students get very angry at me for that. Um, but somebody has got to be the bad guy and you need mm-hmm. to really learn in life that there are deadlines and those deadlines have consequences. And I always tell my students, remember, consequ- you don't get to choose your consequences. Someone else does. You choose your actions. Someone else chooses the consequence. So it's really important. And I like to make sure that my students realize and that I'm very clear, like this is my expectation, period, end of sentence. And I know a lot of them don't like that, but it's something, it's a really important lesson that you need to learn in life because there's always going to be deadlines and there's always going to be consequences for your actions when you don't meet those deadlines. Um, so yeah, so I'm kind of the, I'm the disciplinarian and I always have been, which is kind of funny when my stepkids, even when they were little, even when they were three and four, which they're now, oh my God, the oldest is 13. And I'm really feeling, I'm feeling old right now. Um, but when they were three and four, I was the like, okay, now you're going to timeout. Why are you here? I watched a lot of episodes of the super nanny and I really feel like that got me ready to be the wicked ex stepmother. Um, but I was a disciplinarian. My ex husband was not. So that was my job. And honestly, I think it definitely benefited my relationship with my kids because now, even though they're coming on to their teenage years and I don't think I'm ready for this, but I'm ready. I have prepared them well because they know when they're at my house, there are rules and there are consequences and those consequences will be swift. Um, And they're not, I mean, I've never, ever had to raise a hand to my child. I've never, these are things because they know when I say do this or this, they know that that or is definitely going to come if they don't. Um, So, and they ask me for advice, which to me is like, as a step parent is like the best thing ever when, the 13 year old calls you and says, I need your advice on something. And I'm like, yes, I have succeeded as a step parent. So yeah, so that's, I think that they probably look up to me more than maybe other than my dogs, but I don't think they can. Cause I just, Fair enough. that's all they want. They just want food from me. So dogs and cats. I, I, I always wonder if they really like you or dogs. I have a feeling do cats i think you're just a purveyor of food for them yeah well yes and i agree i have a i just my oldest dog is a rescue all my animals are rescues i mm-hmm. uh, my oldest dog i've had him forever she's uh eight years now um he is definitely like my best friend like he just wants to be near me and he wants to be touching me and yeah it's and I just adopted another one last year, but she's totally different. She, I think she's was raised with cats. 
because her behavior is very cat-like. She's very aloof. She's very aloof. But when she wants attention, she's like right in your face, like, hey. And then she's like, okay, I've had enough, bye. And then leaves and goes back in her little kennel and she hides again. So I, I definitely think she was raised by cats. Fair enough. Uh, last question. What would you title this podcast if, if I were to transfer ownership to you for the next few seconds? And then what would you title your own episode? The title. Well, I know what my number, I want my number to be. And I think okay. you will understand why I want my number. Sure. Um, I want my number to be 42. Now. I would have guessed 13. Well. Only because of what you said earlier. 13 is my favorite number. But I feel like 42 is important because I feel like that's the one thing I've figured out as I've gotten older is really what is the answer to life? What is the key to life? What is what is the answer to happiness? And I have think I have figured that out at this point in my life. So that's why I like 42. But 13 is my favorite number. I, I was going with the Fibonacci, Ben, because the last individual was eight. So I thought the next one was. Yeah, my whole birthday is primes. My birth date, year month, everything, even if you do the short form or long form, all primes. Um, so primes are very important in my life. So I think I was destined to be a math professor. <laughs> my mother planned this, I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, no, I think I would like the number 42 if possible. All right. 42 is yours. Yeah. Any thoughts on the title of the episode or the podcast itself at large? I like, I like Eeyore without the depression. <laughs> Fair enough. I think that would be a great title. People would be like, what? I don't. <laughs> this is usually the, 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 most, the reaction that people usually have when they meet me. It's usually like, I what? Um, oh, that's not what I expected. <laughs> I'm curious, though, if, if Billy Joel will have the same enthusiasm as, as those of us that know you um, or have gotten to know you by reading the title Eeyore Without the Depression. Although it might be a good song title. This is true. And Billy can make a song about anything. So. Yeah. It, it might be a challenge for him. Hey, make me a song about Eeyore without the depression. Maybe, maybe, you know, now that he's doing a lot of classical writing, maybe he will do some, make some music for you. I don't you never know. Never hurts to ask. What's the word? I did not think of that. I will reach out to him. Yeah, there you go. Hey, listen, you never know. He lives right. He's got a house right down the road. So. And anything about the ti uh, suggestions for the title of the podcast? The podcast, I have no idea. I, I'm horrible at, at putting titles on things. I, I do creative writing as a hobby, and I can never come up with a title for anything. So, I, uh, I did like the with the, with the what was the the one about silence? I can't remember what it was. The audacity of silence. I do like that, but. Which is, and it's also because it's counterintuitive because this is a podcast where all we do is talk and you, then you talk about silence. But I think it is those pregnant pauses in between that kind of tell you stories sometimes that people don't pick up on. Mm -hmm. If there's a short pause, then it usually doesn't mean much. But if there's a long pause, a lot's going on in that pause that you don't know about. So I kind of like that title. I'll consider it. I, I I think for now, I, I want to continue the practice of asking others and then for a future project after the first hundred go out, then I might, you know, have learned enough lessons, hopefully, uh, from doing this a hundred times to where the next one is a little more polished and I can give it an appropriate title. And, but again, I go back to the fact it is your podcast. So at the end of the day, I really feel like you are the one who should be making this decision. I'm going to put this onus back on you. 
Ah, more work. <laughs> you like it, work. It, Listen, I'm, it's, I'm it's the teacher's that. ethos. <laughs> it's all lies. I pay people $20 to make it seem like I'm doing a lot, but it, it's just, they do it. And I just give them $20. Uh, you know, this, and this is very important. Like I, that's the one thing I think, and going back to my 42, I, that's, I love my job and I love what I do and I love my students. Oh, if it wasn't for them, the stories I have about after over 20 years of teaching, the stories I have about my students are just, listen, I could do a whole podcast about stories from my students. Um, Another episode, perhaps. There you go. Um, but I think I've discovered a while ago that my work is not my life. My life is very complex and I have a lot going on in my life. I have stepchildren that I'm very involved with and I love to travel and I love... So these are all things that are very important to me, and I'm not willing to put one ahead of the other. Does that make sense? So how do you find that balance? I know I shouldn't be asking more questions, but this is a, this was a question that I asked Helena, and she, at least from the, the, the hour-long conversation I had with her, and from you as well, both of you seem to have found a way to... I, I don't want to say sequester things or pigeonhole them, but you found a way to demarcate the boundaries very clearly and you don't seem to struggle with the prospect of saying this is Stefanos time her, her son's name is Stefanos or this is time to be sp spent with Stefanos and even if I have other things you know for work that need to be done my conversation with her gave me the impression that she doesn't feel guilty about putting those things on hold while it is time to be spent with with her son and you kind of, maybe perhaps not without saying it explicitly, you, you come off as the same kind of person. So how do you find yourself not feeling guilty or turning off that switch in your head that says, oh, I'm spending time with my dogs or I'm spending time with my mom or with my kids, but I also have blah, blah, blah to do. Right. And there's, well, and, and I think it's because I figured out a long time ago that there will always be blah, blah, blah to do. Teaching is a job that it never ends. There's always lessons that can be tweaked. There's always papers to be graded. There's, there's always going to be that. That is the universal constant of teaching, that there is always work to do, period. Um, and I had a job, I was a curriculum specialist um, at a middle school in a very underperforming district. And I lived and breathed that job. Like I was there at six in the morning and I didn't leave till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. I would greet the maintenance guy at the morning who would unlock the building and he'd be kicking me out at the end, of, you know, that, and it almost destroyed me. Like literally I became extremely depressed. I, yeah, it was not a good thing. And so now caveat to that, I was in the best shape of my life because I would go to the gym afterwards to burn off all that anger. And so I looked fabulous, but I was miserable. Um, and so I think after I had that job, it was very much like, okay, like your life can't just be this, that, that just can't, this, this doesn't make any sense. You're not happy. And why are you doing it? I mean, granted, like we have to pay our bills, but you know, you need to be happy or at least somewhat satisfied, you know? So I think it was that job in particular that made me just go, I need to have some clear boundaries. Like I will go to work at this time and I will leave at this time. And when I leave, I'm going to not bring home work with me. Now, granted, I know that every once in a while I'm going to have papers to grade and whatever, and that's fine because I can grade those sitting on the couch, hanging out with my dog. So I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, 
but you, I definitely needed some delineation. And that job kind of taught me that, that if I didn't do that, I didn't like the person that I became when my job became my life. Does that make sense? It does. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm trying, I, I, I'm trying to think in my own way, how do I get to that stage? Right. Because I don't want to get a job that makes me hate myself. Uh, not to say that that's what happened with you, but I, I'm wondering if there's a more efficient path forward as opposed to going through uh, life in that manner yeah. for a short period of time and saying, oh, this is terrible. I need to change something. Unfortunately, humans are kind of... <laughs> We kind of require that bad experience because we can always say, oh, I would never like that. I will definitely be smarter. No, we're not smarter. We are dumb. <laughs> I can hear my girlfriend say exactly that and say, no, you're not going to change unless you hit rock bottom or unless, you know, whatever your rock bottom is in that scenario, unless you hit it, you're not going to experience change. Exactly. And I think that's what it is, is that it, you personally have to go through that experience to learn that about yourself because you can talk about it all you want and that's fine. Like I know lots of people who talk a really good game, but they don't follow their own rules. So I, I really think it's just something you personally have to work through and you have to get to that point to make, to be like, you need that moment of clarity, like, oh, they'll let, you know, the curtains come out and they'll, sure. you, you really just have to experience it yourself. So, and I, I had that job. <laughs> I don't ever want that job again. I like my job now. And it's, it's, it is hard sometimes because I have found that the better you are when you go to work. So the more productive you are, the more you get, better, mm -hmm. the more is expected of you. And that's hard for me too, because I want to do well. So, but I also, but I know that as a teacher, when you do well, more is expected. So it's a very interesting tightrope to have to walk of, I like my job. I want to stay here. I want to get continuing contract, but I know that I can't take on being department chair and writing a grant and, and, and I can't juggle all those balls. I can't. I know what my boundaries and my limitations are based on my past experiences. So it's coming up with that balancing that's, that's difficult sometimes. And it's still a struggle, but I still know. And I think it's, you kind of compartmentalize, like I've got my teacher hat on, mm -hmm. and I have my me hat on, you know what I mean? Because they are different. Well, I envy, I envy your, your closet of hats. <laughs> I envy everyone's closet of hats. The, the people that have different hats, uh, mine are all kind of glued onto my head and, and you know, there's cats hanging from them. There we go. No, I, that, that's the image I have in my head of my hat. easily interchangeable. Hopefully I can have a closet of hats someday. And you know what? For everybody, it just, it's, it's a process for every single person and every person has their own timeline. So don't feel like you have to like, by the time I'm this age, I have to now like, uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to, oh, okay. I'm going to be 47 in November. And honestly, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I don't know if I'm going to be teaching 10 years from mm -hmm. now. I have no idea. Um, but I do know that I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with my family. I am happy with my, I'm, that I'm making better choices in my life and we'll see what happens next. I don't know. And on that happy note, I, I think we'll stop. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. It was an absolute delight getting to know you and I, and I hope 
the stories with students can be the topic of discussion for another yeah, podcast episode. You should definitely have people like create little and then send them to you and then you can kind of sip them all together. Have, like, I'm going to try, I'm trying my hardest to get 50 individual people uh, or 50 unique, the mathematicians unique, not necessarily the English unique, uh, but I'm trying to get 50 people just as a personal challenge because now I've, I'm starting to run dry of, of people to send emails to mm -hmm. since I've sent so many and only a few have responded. Before I started doubling up, I said, okay, I got to get to at least 50 before I can say, you know, hey, do you want to come back again? Do you want to have another chat? So after the 50, I think uh, I, I might do that as just a, a, a mashup of jumping the shark episode of, hey, a five-minute conversation with Trisha and a five-minute conversation with Right. It, with someone else. You could literally just be like, I want five minute conversations with your best student stories, like your best, like excuse for a test story, excuse for <laughs> like those kind of stories. Like you will never run out ever. That's a good idea. Tons of them. Thank you for sharing. Oh, well, I'm, I'm here to help. Anytime you need ideas, just let me know. I appreciate it. You can steal away. Well, well enjoy the rest of your Saturday morning. Thank you so very much for spending the morning with me. No, not a problem. I will go fill up my coffee mug and go get some breakfast and we'll be good. Enjoy. All right. Thank you again. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm looking forward to talking to Trisha again. Here's a clip from next week's conversation with Mark. Some of the things we talked about got pretty serious, but I really, really enjoyed diving in deep into some murky waters that a lot of people perhaps don't feel comfortable wading into. But it was a wonderful conversation. Here's a little clip from it. So I mentioned like wanting when I was in high school to get up and bolt for the door because I was anxious. I felt closed in, claustrophobic. And once I started playing that game and then what, you know, what's, what's going to happen? What's at the end of that whole scenario that you play out in your head? And it's usually not that big of a deal. And I think I've kind of internalized it at this point. I don't think I have to really walk through the steps. I just know that whatever's at the end is probably not that bad. So just see it through. Until next time, for another 91 times, take care. <laughs>